Years ago, you may not believe this, guys. You probably won't believe this, but I used to be into bodybuilding. Years ago. I'm still bodybuilding, just not the right shape. Uh, amen. Don't laugh too hard. That was too hard to laugh. Um, but um, I was very serious about it, very um, committed and faithful to it and um, all the sacrifices because I wanted to, I wanted to have a gym. I wanted to own, be a gym owner, and I thought, well, the best way for me to be a gym owner is for me to be my own kind of advertisement, right? And so I was going to go into competition. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was going, I was actually working out or working toward going toward competition. My friend who uh, was a mentor to me, he was older than I was, uh, he was the one who was training me. He also was in competition. He would already been in competition and was training for one as well. And so we were very serious about what we were doing. And um, I love, my favorite day was arm day, you know. Every young man loves to work out their biceps. We just think, we think that impresses the girls. We probably don't, but we think it does. We just want to be strong and just look strong. And your biceps, you got to have big biceps, right? And so arm day was always good, although I worked all my body to try to keep things symmetrical. Um, but I love that day. And so I, 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 I noticed that something was going on, that during my time of working my bicep out, I noticed that uh, I started to feel pain in, in my grip and in my forearms. And so what would happen is I noticed that my, my grip would begin to fatigue before my biceps fatigued. And I began griping about that. And I, I was complaining and griping about that. Like, I don't get it. I, I, I got like six or seven more reps I could do with my biceps, but I can't because I, I, I just can't even grip the bar anymore. It's so much pain there. And so finally, my, my buddy, after all that griping, said, well, let me see you do it. And again, he'd, he'd been around a lot longer than I. So he said, let me see. So I do about three or four of them for him. And he goes, you're doing it all wrong. He said, you're doing it all wrong. Here's what you got to do. He said, the reason why that's happening is because you're gripping the bar incorrectly. If you start correcting that, your grip, you're going to find out that you'll be able to work your biceps before you go into fatigue. In other words, when you go into fatigue, you end up quitting too soon, right? Now, I want to say this. Spiritually speaking, therein lies the problem. We are facing fatigue in the church, and then we end up quitting too soon, all because we're real good at griping, but not so good at gripping. So we got to learn the process of how to grip in a way that, that will be pleasing unto the Lord, that will get the, the, the results you want. Look, if you want to succeed, lose your gripe and get a grip. If you want to get ahead in life, lose your gripe and get a grip. If you, if you want to make sure that you have success and, and, and you overcome in life, lose the gripe and get a grip. Lady, the reason, I say this to women, I get them sometimes, but the reason why you ain't got a godly man in your life right now is because you're real good at griping, but not so good at gripping. Sir, the reason why you don't have a godly lady in your life right now, because you're real strong in your gripe, but you're not so strong in your grip. Mom, dad, the reason why your children are all funky and rebellious right now and jacked up in their life is because you had a real strong gripe about them, but not a real strong grip on their life. I'm preaching real good right now. Church, we've had the wrong grip, and the wrong grip has been our gripe. And because of it, we are, we are completely fatigued, and we are now worn out. God is looking for a people that will grip onto his word like a bulldog, won't let go until they see the manifestation of what God has promised. Come on, somebody. Go ahead and just write in those comments and say, it's time to get a grip. It's time to get a grip. <laughs> I want to take us a little bit higher to a higher level right now. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1. And by the way, when we talk about, we talk about, um, we talk about the book of Kings, uh, we're dealing with authority because kings reigned in authority. 
We're dealing with anointing because they, every king in the Bible was anointed by a prophet with the horn of oil. And then we're also dealing with kingdoms because every king rules over a kingdom. It says here in verse number one, now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. The name that David has, now I know we know King David, he wrote the book of Psalms and we've seen him in, all, in Kings and Chronicles and we know his life and I personally relate to David probably out of all the different men of the Bible, all of us have somebody we relate to the most and so we kind of have an idea of him but did you know what his name actually meant? His name means this in Hebrew, it means beloved. Did you know that God refers to his church as the beloved? So we see David, David's a type of Christ the Bible talks about, and the type of Christ is the body of Christ. So when we see David, we're seeing what? We're seeing God's church. We're seeing his body on earth. And the Bible says this. It said, beloved, or David, David was advanced in years and he was old here. It's referring here to an antiquated church rulership that is dying. The king is dying. He's old. And so I see something else prophetically that's happening here, that God is dealing with an antiquated church rulership that is dying. The Bible says that they put covers on David to warm him, but he would not. We could say it this way. No matter how much we try to give cover to the old way of doing church, it just gets colder and colder and colder. Somebody write in the comments, it's a cover-up. It's a cover-up. We're trying to cover up our feebleness when our families need our strength. We're trying to cover up our immobilization when our city needs a move of God. We're trying to cover up the fact that we're fatigued while the whole world has run out ahead of the church by leaps and by bounds. It's time for a turnaround in God's kingdom. It's time for a turnaround, and it starts today. Church, we're not getting any hotter for God with what we've had. In a lot of ways, we've grown much colder because we've walked away from God. And the reason why we're walking away from God is we've still got one foot in an antiquated system that is dead and dying, and we're trying to warm it up when God says it's a brand new day, it's a brand new era, something new is about to emerge for my people in the earth. You can't hang on to yesterday and get where God's going. The Bible says if you're going to plow the field, you don't look back. If you look back, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. I knew I'd start feeling that Holy Ghost in just a moment. We got to get back to the way God wants things done. And some of those ways of old are good foundations. There's always those stones that he said, now lay the stones in Jordan. Lay the stones in that valley. That way that people go back, they'll see the markers of what I did. And they'll remember that if you come through hardship, you'll see what I did for them. And you'll know that I'm the God that can deliver you too. But we're not to live back there. We're not to go back to Egypt. God has given us a promise and a promised land. And this is our day to attain that land. It's our day to get that promise. On Thursday night, and if you haven't heard that message yet, oh man, I tell you, go get that, get the Bible, 45 minutes or so, you'll walk right through that thing and you'll be so encouraged. On Thursday, I talk about Jacob and Joseph and kind of, and it's interesting how God is weaving. It's like, I feel like prophetically speaking that pieces of the puzzle are coming here and there and thither and yonder, as they say in the New King, or the Old King James, and from my elders and my pastors and, and from my friends, friends that I have that are, that are prophets, and it's all coming together. And, and even on Thursday, I knew I wanted to say something, but I kind of wanted to say it today, too. I wasn't sure if I was going to do it or not. But really, I was talking about Jacob and talking about Joseph. And the Bible says that Jacob, Israel, was his name. His name had been changed from Jacob to Israel. 
Israel, the Bible says, he was well advanced in age. He was old. But before he died, the Bible said he made a tunic or a coat of many colors. And in other words, he commissioned that. That was expensive. He had 12 other sons, but he took, he chose one by the name of Joseph. And he said, Joseph, this is yours. In other words, the father favored or chose or picked somebody and said, this is my cloak. I'm putting on you. It's something special in this hour. Signifying I'm not going to be around forever. What's been happening forever that you've been, you grew up under is not going to stay forever. And you're talking about your past. Now is the time that you're going to move towards your future. So in other words, favor was being passed from the old to the new. I got more I want to say about that. But let me just say this. Look at verse number five. Verse number five. I'll tie this together. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, David's son, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. Now, he just took it upon himself. Nobody told him he could be. He said, I'm going to exalt myself, and I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Okay? Verse number 9. Then Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the stone of Zohilith, and which was at Enrogo. And he also invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants, but he did not invite, camera, camera, get on me, camera, get on me. He did not invite the prophet Nathan. I mean, he did not tag the prophet Nathan in his invite post. He did not invite the prophet Benaiah. Oh, excuse me. I mean, he did not tag the prophet Benaiah. He did not invite the mighty men. I mean, he did not message the mighty men. Am I talking your language now? He did not invite Solomon, his brother, who was the rightful next heir. I mean, he did not share the post with Solomon, his brother. Let me ask you something. Why are you allowing everyone to speak into your life except the ones who will actually tell you the truth? The ones who have some authority in your life that will tell you the truth. Just like Adonijah, I'm preaching real good now. Don't turn me off. God's got a word for you. It's not to condemn you. It's to set your future free. So if you've got guts, you're going to continue with this message. Everyone else that received from you the invitation to celebrate your new ministry, your new idea, your new love interest, except the ones who can really speak truth and direction into your life. Why didn't you invite them? Is it because you're not ready Yet, and you know it, and they might see it? Is it because the timing's off, and they might confirm it? Is it because you don't want to hear any dissent from them? Is it because your character is still a mess? And you've been counseled by them in it already? Look, these are the last days. God is wanting house, his house to be in order from top to bottom and bottom to top. We need godly authority speaking our lives. We don't need wicked authority. We don't need manipulation and authority. But we need some godly authority that says, look, I'm not here to be your buddy, but I am going to be a friend. I'm going to love you with all my heart. I'm going to tell you the truth. Joel chapter 2 gives us a prophetic picture of the last days church and says this. They run like mighty men. They climb on the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation and nobody breaks ranks. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut 
down. It's a time for God to begin to order or bring order. Why? Because anything that's out of order cannot work. And if we're going to say we're going to have a new day, then we can't adopt the old way. And the old way is I'm going to do whatever I want. That's the state of a lot of God's people. We want what we want. Now listen, I, this may not be a feel-good message, but this is going to set the people free. We want what we want, and nobody's going to tell us no. Maybe I know how to preach this real good because I might be one of them people. I don't like to be told no either. Not even God can tell some people no. Although we know he can, they don't want to accept it. This was the spirit of Adonijah. Self-seeking, self-indulging, self-gratifying, self-promoting. This behavior has held up what God has wanted to do for years, and God is bringing a quick and swift no to it so that we can, be, so we can learn and grow and mature, bring order back so things will begin to work in all of our lives. Look at verse 11. says this, So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah the son of Haggith has become king? Oh, okay. And David, our Lord, does not know it? Come, please. Let me now... Give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. So immediately to the to King David, uh, and, and and go immediately rather and say to him, Did you not, my Lord, O King, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? There was a promise made, guys. David, before he passed away, made a promise and he swore that Solomon would be the next one in line to sit upon my throne. I'm going to pass the baton of this era to somebody else into another era. I'm going to make a pledge or solemn promise of my words and they shall be carried out. Church, there are opposing forces like Adonijah that we are going to have to confront in this day and hour. They have left us with unfulfilled and unclaimed promises. I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about a spirit. It's the spirit of rebellion. It's the spirit of disobedience. It's the spirit of self-seeking and self-promotion. It's the spirit of antichrist. It's the spirit of the devil. And what happens is he has embattled us to say, no, I'm going to intercede and take the baton I'm going to carry the future. And so what we got to do is confront the enemy. Confront him in prayer. Confront him with the name of Jesus. Confront him with the blood of the lamb. Confront him in the spirit. So we can do what? We can gain access to the unfulfilled and unclaimed promises that God said we can have. Well, you think, uh, well, well, God promised it to me. Therefore, it's an automatic. That's not what the scripture says. The Bible says fight the good fight of faith. When God gives a promise, there's always going to be something there. It's trying to oppose you from the promise coming to pass. It's not an automatic. Oh, man, have I learned that in my life. It's not an automatic. It's a promise. But in this life, the enemy will come to steal, kill, and destroy. God is wanting confrontation in this day and hour. He's wanting us to fight for what he promised us in times of old. He's wanting us to fight for what he promised us in our secret place with him, and nobody else knew it knew about it. He said, Israel, you're going to be free, and every place that the sole of your foot shall walk on, it shall be yours. Oh, but here's the problem. You got one little situation here. You got to learn to dispossess the possessor. So you're going to a place that everywhere you touch will be yours. But the problem is there's giants in the land. But don't fret. If you'll just go against them with faith, 
I'll cause every giant to come tumbling down in your life before your very eyes, and you will inherit the promise. In other words, just because you got the promise doesn't mean you don't have a fight. There's always going to be opposition, but the good news is you will win. It's a time for confrontation. Write that in the comments. It's a time for confrontation. By the way, flip side, if you're in sin, God's coming to confront you. If you're living in disobedience, God's going to confront that too. If you're walking in pride and arrogance, he's going to confront that. Not because he's mad. Not because he hates you. He loves you. He wants to confront you with mercy. He wants to confront you with understanding. He wants to get your attention and say, don't walk this way anymore. You're killing yourself. You're taking your children down with you. And if you're a preacher and you're watching me and you're in adultery, God, sir, is coming to confront you. Adonijah in Hebrew means, I've never heard anybody preach this. Adonijah in Hebrew means Yahweh is my master. You would never think that. Adonijah's first responsibility was to serve Yahweh, but now he's serving his way. He wants it his way, but that was not his purpose. That was not his destiny. His mother named him with a purpose. Yahweh will be your master. Yet that's not, if that's not the picture of the modern day church and Christianity, I don't know what is. Everyone's serving themselves, serving their opinions, serving their priorities, serving their agendas, serving their own ambitions. Yahweh is not their master. The only master that they have is the very thing that they desire. Whatever is going to make me look the best, whatever makes me going to feel the best. I, I call this the culture of hyper-fame syndrome. If we've never seen it, we've seen it in this day and age over social media. Everybody trying to get famous and doing the stupidest things that they can possibly do just to have the missed likes that they can get so it can go viral. So why? So they can be important. So they can be noticed. So they can feel significance. This is exactly what was going on with Adonijah. He just wanted to feel significant, so he took matters into his own hands. He was not going to wait upon his master to open the doors. He was going to open those doors. I can hear someone say right now, well, preacher, don't you dare judge me because I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I got you. But do you love the Lord Jesus? Because there is a significant difference. Many are called Jesus, but I'm not talking about Jesus. I'm talking about the one and the only Lord of lords, king of kings, all reigning authority with a crown on his head. Are you willing to follow his way and not your way? And we may not have as many people watching next week. But I'm not here to appease you. If I've got any platform, it's to warn you and tell you and to let you know there's so much greater for you than you possibly could imagine. But these are the things that hold us back. Somebody shout, get a grip. Get a grip. Verse 13. So Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old. Listen to this. And Abishag, the Shunammite, was serving the king. Abishag was a woman that they chose. And David was old and he was cold. And so they thought, ah, we have an idea. Let's get the prettiest virgin young woman we can find in all of Israel. This is what your Bible says. And let's bring her into the king because, you know, it might make him happy. So they bring in this little filly. Come on, y'all. Follow me. In. Bring her in. And all of a sudden, he got a big old smile on his face. David, he got a big smile of it. Old man said, you know what? I want to live again. Hallelujah. 
but it was, it, was, it was fleeting. She was doing everything she could to breathe life into the old. Are you hearing me? She was doing everything she could to appease the old, to make him come to life again. Did you know that Abishag's name in Hebrew means my father strays? Let me make this statement. Fathers must be careful to not stray from what God is doing now only to give themselves to serve a dying system. Where are the fathers? Fathers must embrace the next generation as if it is their next assignment. Because most fathers, even when they get old, they still have ambition. They want to serve their own thing, do their own will, do their own desire. It's no longer time for that. And you know there's not no longer time for that. It's now time to give in to the next generation. And that will be your next assignment. And when you do that, you watch God multiply your dream, make it bigger than you could possibly imagine. Because now you got more people that are able to carry out the vision God gave you. It is the next assignment. Verse 32, and King David said, call to me Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. The king also said to them, take with you the servants of the Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my mule, my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. Remember that. There, let Zadok, the priest, and Nathan, the prophet, anoint him king over Israel. Blow the horn and say, long live King Solomon. Then you should come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, and he shall be king in my place. For I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel, Judah. Beautiful, beautiful picture of how the old is serving the new. How the old is setting up things to to happen for the new. Not talking about natural, just people here. We're floating in and out of some things revelation-wise. But I'm also talking about a system. A, 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 an antiquated system saying, we've done, it, we've done it this way for a while and God blessed it, but now it's time for something fresh and new. Look, if you want peace in your homes, then the fathers must learn to serve the children. You say, hold on a second, I ain't going to serve my kids because my kids, you know, I'm, I tell them what to do. They're just the kids. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the heart of servitude. Jesus said, if you would be great, learn to serve. So the old serves the new or the younger, right? That's the, that's the responsibility we're to have. Fathers are to bless the next generation, not curse them. Help them. Don't frustrate them. Encourage them. Don't blame them. Fight for them. Don't abandon them. Cheer them on. Don't put them on blast. Be their number one fan. Don't compete with them. This is the time for all the fathers to rise up and say, it's about my sons. It's about my daughters. Spiritual fathers and natural fathers alike. Where are the fathers that will let go of their egos and fight for this next generation? Verse 38. So Zadok, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on the king, king David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok, the priest, took the horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. Remember I told you that the book of Kings are, are three different things that are very important in it. Number one is his authority, the king's authority. Number two is the king's anointing. And number three is the king's kingdom. 
So here we see this. This is what's happening. Solomon represents the new era of the people of God that God says, I favor. It's not that Adonijah doesn't have his place. It's that I favor Solomon to advance this. So they represent, Solomon represents this new era of the people of God emerging. There is a shift taking place of new authority, new anointing, and new kingdom revelation for those who are ready to receive it. Verse 41, 43, now Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, why is the city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abathar, the priest. And Adonijah, Adonijah said to him, come in, for you are a prominent man and bring good news. Then Jonathan answered, no, our Lord King has made Solomon king. Look, church, there was the sound of an uproar. There is an uproar coming to the cities all across America and all across the world because you can't have revival without an uproar. Follow the life of Jesus everywhere he went. It was either a revival or a riot broke out. You can't, you got to pick what side you're going to be on. And let me make this statement. The goal of Christianity should not be comfort. Why? Because true Christianity brings conflict. My chiropractor, uh, I was with him the other day, and uh, I've told a little story about him before. He knows I talk about him now. And, uh, and he thinks he's intrigued by that. He's not a Christian. Uh, he, he made that very clear to me. Not that he's uh, disrespectful. He just says, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a church-going guy. I, you know? I said, I, I understand. And, and so, I, you know, I said, that's, that's, that's fine. And um, he said... Um, Hey, this last time I was with, with him, he goes, hey, did you hear about this church in, I think it was California, and they're trying to keep the church from not gathering, and, and, and when are you going to start gathering your people? I said, well, we're working on that. We're, we're working with our governor. We're trying to figure out the lines here, and, you know, we want to be what God wants us to be, but we also want to don't look like a bunch of uh, a jerks, you know. I, I think sometimes that we can look like that, but if God says do it, we're going to do it early. Uh, we'll just do what God says. Um, in the meanwhile, we, we're, we're working things out. He said, oh, that's good, that's good. He said, because they're telling me they can't do this. And I, there's another church in Florida. They said they couldn't do it. And there's another church somewhere in, I think, Texas. They said they couldn't do it. And he says, man, i got to be honest with you, man. He said, I didn't know I'd become such, uh, he said, uh, he said uh, how do you say, a warrior for the church. He said, I get angry when I hear that. How dare they? The, he said, the church is essential. People need God. They need the church. Like, Go ahead and preach with your bad self. I'm thinking, look at my chiropractor. He ain't a Christian, but here he goes. He's preaching to me now. Amen. I'm thinking, he's Christian. Yeah, but he's about to become one. He don't even know it. I think the whole point is, is that he said, he said to me, he said, I, all these years, I never knew in America that the church was under persecution. That's an outside observer. And he goes, I see it now everywhere. I said, well, you know, you're preaching to the choir. Yes, sir, we have been under persecution. Not complaining. Not complaining because persecution actually can spread the gospel more than anything else. But yes, it's not easy. There's always been conflict. With Christianity comes conflict. And I wrote this down, and maybe this is a little bit heavy, but listen to this. God gave this to me. Christ in the crucible does not bring comfort. It brings conflict and confrontation. What is the crucible? The crucible is when, um, it's when you've been under fire, under trial so long that it begins to forge something new. 
Christ in the crucible does not bring comfort. It brings conflict and confrontation. So if our goal and outcome in this life is to have only comfort, we will not be the kind of Christians or the people of God that God's called us to be. And we will not be living our purpose. Verse 45, I'm almost done. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him Solomon. He's king at what? Gehen. And they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Don't you think we've been quiet for too long? Don't you think it's, it's now time for us to start a little bit of an uproar and make a little noise for the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't you think that we've been in the corner too long, allowed everything to push us back? If we, if we, want, if we want the walls to begin to fall down, we got to let out the biggest shout. When you shout is when the walls come tumbling down. And the Bible says that they took David, as, as was the king's orders, and they took him to a place called Gihon. And at Gihon means this. It means bursting forth. It means to gush forth. Can't make this up, it's right in his word. Something so powerful is about to emerge in our lives, but if we're not looking for it, remember Zacchaeus, he sought to see Christ. He was looking to see him until he got out on the limb and said, there he is, and that was the one that Jesus chose and said, I'm going to stay in your house today. Something so powerful is emerging, it's ready to burst forth. It's about to gush forth in the earth. It's about to gush forth in your life and in your world. And the ones that, that anointed him at the gushing point, at the burst point, was named Zadok and Nathan. Zadok means righteous. It means justified. Break it down means ethical. It means to do the right thing. Nathan means to, to show generosity or to be generous. So Zadok and Nathan were to anoint Solomon at Gihon. In other words, Solomon was to be anointed by ethics and to do the right thing and to be generous. And there was a bursting forth, and there was a gushing of what? Ethics, morality, doing the right thing, character, generosity, becoming a giver. And I'm going to prophesy and say it right now. There's a spirit of generosity that's coming upon the earth like never before. And though there may be some hiccups in the road and they may cry out and say the Great Depression is on its way, not for the child of God who's a giver. Why? Because the heavens have been opened over your life. Do not be afraid. Act as everything's normal. That's your faith talking. You're not denying it's right. You're not denying it. You're just denying it's right. And you're saying enough is enough. If you're a generous person, the Bible said you will be blessed. Live right, do right, be moral, be ethical. The next era the church is moving into will be noted by our ethics and making things right. We're going, we're going to do right by the money. We're going to do right by the ministry. We're going to do right by the marriage. We're going to do right by the morality. And we're going to live generously. 49, I'm done here. So all the guests who were Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each one went his way. Now Adonijah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold. I'm getting back to my message now. Took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon. He's afraid of the next move. He's afraid of what's about to happen. What, what's going to happen to me? I notice now all my efforts for, of, and ambition have now crumbled for look, 
He has taken hold. He got a grip. He got a grip of the horns of the altar saying, let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death. Now he's going to call himself a servant. (laughs) To death with the sword. Adonijah cannot move forward into the new kingdom era of his day. And the spirit of Adonijah that gets on us cannot move forward forward in the new era of where God's taking us. Oh, my cry is, church, I may not understand all that God's doing right now, but my cry is, don't leave me behind. I don't want to be stuck in an antiquated system. I don't want to go back to the way it used to be. I want to see signs and wonders and miracles. I got to be in the front lines, God, of what you're doing in the earth. I may look stupid. I don't care. I've got to be in the front lines. I want to know. I want to see. I know those people watch me. You feel the exact same way. Adonijah had to do what? He had to get a grip of what? The horns of the altar. For what? For mercy. Mercy. He grabs a hold of the horns of the altar. He truly gets a grip on what really matters. What are the horns of the altar? There were four horns. The horn on each corner, so there's four of them of the altar. And they were called the horns of salvation. And salvation here means deliverance, rescue, Safety, welfare, victory, prosperity. 